This is the Creative and Cultural Podcast. Dedicated to creative collaboration and cultural innovation, we ask community leaders to share stories about business, history, technology, and the arts. This episode was recorded live at the 1888 Center, located in the historic district of Old Town Orange, California. Chapters is a five-part 1888 Center podcast series dedicated to the stories surrounding the exclusion, forced removal, and internment of Japanese Americans. The program also parallels a narrative thread through Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, DACA. Chapters is supported by the California Civil Liberties Public Education Program, administered by the California State Library. With me today for chapter one is Luis Gomez. Thank you, Trevor. How's it going? Great, thank you so much for the invitation to be here today and thanks uh, to everyone that is here and everyone who will be listening to us um, when this, uh, in this recording. Definitely. To begin, to offer a quick little framework, I would like to start with your story and cross over from your beginnings, your studies, your work, uh, and then if we can jump a little bit into what is DACA and move in towards that direction. Absolutely. So my name is Luis Gomez. <laughs> I am the Immigration Resources Specialist at the LGBT Center of Orange County. Um, I began my work at the center through an internship um, that was required at uh, as part of my studies at the University of California, Irvine. Um, I began at the, at the center in March 2015, and then I was able to come on board um, through a small grant that they received from um, Equality California um, to be build, building infrastructure for immigration work, um, particularly as it pertains to the LGBTQ immigrant community. Um, since since then, we have been able to grow the program exponentially. We have a uh, monthly immigration clinic um, that is the only immigration clinic in Orange County that specifically targets the LGBTQ immigrant community and where LGBTQ um, immigrants are feel like they're in a safe space. They're able to disclose their um, information and receive answers to their um, questions pertaining to immigration law. We also um, have citizenship classes uh, every Friday at the center, and um, our education and outreach program um, reaches about 900 people every quarter wow. um, a year. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Good numbers, man. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's. Can are you comfortable sharing a little bit about your immigration story? Yes, absolutely. So I was. Uh, I'm originally from Veracruz, Mexico, um, the land of Salma Hayek, um, and also I grew up in the city of Jalapa, which is better known for jalapeno peppers. That's where they come from. I myself consider myself a jalapeno, and um, I lived there until I was 14 years old. Um, I would like to say that no. DACA story is the same. So I actually um, moved here when I I was in my uh, I was I guess a little bit later in life. Yeah. Um, and when I moved here, I moved right at the beginning of my high school years. Um, I moved here freshman year, and I actually started my uh, schooling at El Medina High School, like just up the street. Yeah. <laughs> so go Vanguards! <laughs> and I graduated in 2007. It was during my high school years that I realized what um, being undocumented was like. Um, it, I started noticing that everybody, uh, well, not, 
a lot of my classmates were um, doing these rites of passages, so to speak, and obtaining driver's licenses and um, getting jobs and um, getting their identification cards. And I realized that I was not able to do that. And so I knew that things were going to be different for me. Mm -hmm. um, I graduated in 2007, and then I um, began my um, studies at Santiago Canyon College, just farther up the street, but here in Orange as well. And um, I majored in psychology. I graduated from there in 2010 and transferred to the University of California, Irvine. Um, but things got a little complicated yeah. because um, given my status, I was not able to um, obtain any form of financial aid. Um, and unfortunately, I had to drop out only after two quarters. Um, back then, tuition was astronomical. I imagine it's gotten probably a lot worse. Yeah, <laughs> and um, so then I lived what I called a low-key life. I, I worked in the re restaurant industry for a couple years um, at a restaurant that is on Catella and Tustin, so I'm, I'm kind of an orange guy. <laughs> um, and uh, it was like that until they passed the California Dream Act. Um, and I was able to return to school, and around this time also, um, President Obama announced DACA, so I was able not only to return to school, but also I knew that upon graduating, I would be able to um, actually pursue a career in whatever I graduated in. So um, I was able to go back to school and, you know, was very motivated, um, I was had you know, the help of, of, of the state paying for my tuition, um, was able to be in the Dean's Honors list every quarter, not to brag, but I was very committed to what I was doing. Um, and I put myself through college. I, I, was, wor I was going full time, working, and um, be becoming financially independent because yeah. of DACA, right. thankfully. And um, I graduated in 2015, started my work at the center, and well, the rest is history, I suppose. Um, around the time that I realized my um, immigration status and what that could mean, I also um, realized that I was part of the LGBTQ community. So I knew that not only did I have the obstacles of my immigration status, but I was also going to have the obstacles of being uh, of identifying with another um, marginalized community. So. I'm feeling a little bit old, but those times were different times. <laughs> um, we certainly did not have marriage equality, and um, it was uh, things were different back in the day. We didn't we didn't have Facebook, and and, and we didn't we did not connect uh, via social media like we do now back in the day. So yeah. it, I did not feel like I had much um, ways to to communicate with my community mm -hmm. um, and have um, that kind of support for my community um, and so it was it was it was tough to I guess determine my place in in, in, in this community in this world in this country of course, um, yeah. but you know I've, I've overcome that thankfully <laughs> and you know I'm just so happy to be here be yeah. happy to be sharing my story with you all and um, happy to have those the great panelists that we're gonna have in a minute so. brilliant yeah um, 
with these, let's move towards resources now. Sure. It sounded like the Dream Act was a turning point, and then DACA following was a turning point in your own story. Mm-hmm. Can we dive deeper into that moment mm-hmm. and how that was a catalyst? Yes, absolutely. So um, I, I have to make the, the distinction between the Dream Act and the California Dream Act, right? Um, the, the Dream Act was is, is, has not come to fruition, unfortunately. The California Dream Act is essentially um, financial aid for undocumented students. And so um, with that, I was able to return back to school and um, obtain my bachelor's degree in um, psychology and social behavior. And then um, for DACA, DACA allowed me to obtain a work permit and therefore um, pursue um, a career in, in, in what I went to school for. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Can we, can we parse out differences between both programs um, mm-hmm. a little more specifically? And moving towards DACA now, what is unique about DACA? So um, the, I suppose the main difference about the programs is actually that DACA would be immigration policy, um, whereas the California Dream Act is just a state policy in order to provide resources for undocumented folks. Um, DACA is an executive order that was announced by President Obama in June of 2012, um, and therefore it is not a law, and therefore it can be taken away as quote unquote as easily as it was given to us um, and we have seen that this administration has a vendetta to take the program away um, which would have catastrophic consequences not only on the lives of DACA recipients but also on the country as a whole certainly mm-hmm. I see and uh, as far as DACA how did that specifically carry you through to where you are now so um, DACA was, uh, allowed me to get a um, better job, um, increase, I've been able to triple my finances, since my income since. Um, I, um, it has opened the doors to many things, to many opportunities, to um, a sense of security that was not there before, um, and I've also been able to get my first credit card. Um, well, now I have three. <laughs> um, and. Go for the trap, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but still have a good credit score. Um, and I've been able to get my first car. Um, hope to be a homeowner soon. I'm saving. <laughs> and uh, so it, is, it is really has been life-changing um, uh, for, for me and for other um, DACA recipients. A lot of uh, – there, and there's some research out there that um, – by Professor Tom Wong from the University of California, San Diego, that demonstrates that DACA has been a life-changing program for um, those who have been able to um, benefit from it. Absolutely. Did it have any effect on your studies in a, in a positive way? Did it help you decide what you wanted to study, where you saw your career ending up as? And Well, it definitely, the first time that I was at UC Irvine, I, I was obviously committed to my studies and everything, but it was, it was just uncertain what I was going to do uh-huh. um, after I graduated. Sure, sure. Um, with DACA, I knew that I was able to just go for whatever I wanted to go for. Um, and because of DACA, I've been able to you know, branch out. I've been able to um, just become a professional and um, been able to access um, employment that I was not able to access before. I see. Okay. As far as, are you able, well, before getting further into DACA, are you able to name any other resources that were useful in your personal journey? Yes. So, um, the University of California, Irvine, and I believe Cal State Fullerton and and different other um, 
universities around the state um, have what they call like a dreamers center. Um, and I have to give a shout out to Anna Medium at UC Irvine because she has been um, a, a, my guide. Awesome. And so she has been a great, res great resource. And I know that this resource is available um, in other universities for other people mm -hmm. to access. Yeah. Um, so um, I invite other undocumented students to attend um, these uh, resource centers yeah. and, um, and obtain all of, the, all of the information that they can. It's a very, very good resource. What did you find there? What, was it workshops I, or how did you? So um, I was able to meet with Anna Medium one on one, yeah. and um, what I was able, she was able to guide me through the whole process of applying for the California Dream Act, um, kind of like the next steps after graduating, and then um, I'm gonna meet up with her now that I have plans for grad school. So oh, awesome, yeah, right on. So it's more of a would you would you use the word mentorship? Is that a fair? My relationship with the Dreamers Resource Center at UC Irvine has been that, a mentorship wow. program. Um, it was fairly new when I was graduating, but mm -hmm. I believe now they have different programs. They have DACA clinics on campus now, um, meaning that uh, students are able to renew their DACA on campus. And I believe they also have immigration attorneys by now. Mm -hmm. So really good stuff. Wow. Okay. Um, let's move towards DACA. And mm -hmm. to begin with the big question, what is the situation? Well, <laughs> there is a lot going on, and I guess I would like to offer a little bit of a timeline, if Please. I may. Um, DACA was announced in June of 2012 by President Obama after uh, many years of community organizing by undocumented youth, and since then, um, close to 800,000 people have been able to apply for the program. And as we have discussed, um, it has been life-changing, right? Yeah. There was some sense of security in the sense that, you know, we knew that President Obama was not gonna take that away. Um, and then with this new incoming administration, um, the now president vowed to end the program. And um, when he took office, he seemed to have softened his rhetoric um, by saying that DACA recipients didn't have much to worry about. But on, in July of 2017, um, Attorney General from Texas, along with seven other attorneys general, um, threatened to sue the administration if they didn't rescind the program. And um, because I'm, I guess, the nature of my work, I kind of knew what that meant. Uh -huh. It would have put the administration in a position to defend DACA where, when they're not willing to do that. So I knew that that was bad news for the program. Um, so I immediately submitted my renewal. Um, and also because I had recently become eligible to renew. So I sent in my renewal and it all led to the program's rescission um, in, on September 5th of 2017. I remember I was, um, and I think we can all tell you like what we were doing when we found out about DACA and also what we were doing when we found out that DACA was gonna be rescinded. Yeah. Um, so on September 5th, 2017, I was out of town, I was in Louisiana and I was on my way to the airport to come back to California and I was in an Uber and I was um, listening to sessions uh, saying all these things um, and it, it was it felt like an obviously it felt like an attack on our community and also 
I just did not know what that was going to mean. Yeah. I was on my way to the airport and I did not know that if upon check-in, Customs and Border Protection was going to come get me <laughs> or, um, or, or what that would really mean. So, um, thankfully that didn't happen. I was able to get on my flight. Yeah. Um, as I was waiting for my flight, I, you know, was reading the news and, and reading the logistics of what the rescission meant. And I was, I suppose I was lucky that, um, it wasn't going to affect me at least for, uh, I was able to keep my, I was going to be able to keep my status for at least a couple more years. Mm -hmm. So I guess I was lucky in that sense. Um, and since September there have been, um, lawsuits, um, about how the program was rescinded and thankfully judges have been, um, ish issuing decisions that are favorable to the program. Um, nevertheless, there are people, and it's the same—it's the same people who yeah. are have a vendetta to um, terminate the program. Sure. And so, again, Attorney General from Texas, along with other attorneys general, um, actually sued the administration, um, and in order for them to to terminate the program. And so, it is likely that that through that avenue. Um, they're going to get a, a, a decision that is going to be not favorable for the program. Mm. So that is probably going to cause this like disconnection um, between decisions. So we have like favorable decisions and then we're probably going to have this decision that's going to be non-favorable. Um, and so that's going to have to be decided by the Supreme Court. Mm. Now, this is an ever... Like it almost seems like an ever-changing thing because we keep hearing stories left and right and, yeah. and all these updates. And so there was just a recent update. I think it was either Thursday or Friday um, where uh, a judge from Washington, D.C. Um, well, there was, there was a little bit of like a strategic thing that happened where um, the, I guess the plaintiffs in the lawsuit um, decided that it would be okay not to take first-time applications in DACA, which would then weaken the um, lawsuit that was filed in Texas. Uh -huh. So it's it's weird it's weird to say like what's gonna happen in the end. It's probably it probably will have to be decided by the Supreme Court. But what I can tell you right now is that there really is people out there yeah. um, with a vendetta to to terminate this program, um, no matter the cost. So um, that's why we have to keep on fighting and um, sharing our stories. I think it's it's a good way for um, for us to put a human face to all these statistics and all these um, things that we that we hear in the news. Yeah, so. yeah. So we have the timeline established. Mm -hmm. And another basic question, what is DACA? How does that work? Um, what's this process? This. So um, like I mentioned, DACA is a, um, an executive order. So essentially what President Obama was doing is telling um, his employees like how to act. And yeah. in, in, in essence, what he asked them to not do was... Um, to, to move forward with, with the deportation of this certain group of immigrants. Mm -hmm. um, immigrants that were brought here, that, that last entered um, before their 16th birthday, that have no criminal record, that went to school, that yada, 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 yada. Um, and so with that, people have been able to obtain work permits. Mm -hmm. um, once they, they're Action is de their deportation act action is deferred. Um, they've been able to obtain now. Now they have this like quote unquote status because it really not is not an immigration status, but you're 
they're just not going to pursue your deportation. People have been able to uh, obtain work permits, and with that, they've been able to then go to the Social Security Administration, mm -hmm. get a Social Security number. With that, you go to the DMV, and then you get your license for the first time. And it's like it was like a shocking moment for many of us. Um, at least for me, it was a document that like I had only dreamt of. Wow. And all of a sudden, like I had a California driver's license with my picture on it and my name on it, and it was a great thing. So. Um, so with that, they've been we've been able to obtain jobs, um, yeah. better yeah. Our, our incomes, and and obtain uh, jobs that better suit our education and our training, mm. um, and 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 it has been a positive a positive thing for 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 many folks. Certainly. Mm -hmm. Now combining these both, what makes a DOC recipient vulnerable given this shifty timeline and and this unknown destination? Right. So what makes us vulnerable is. Be so many things, right? Because we don't know what the... If the program is terminated, we don't know what the government is going to do with the information that we've provided. Mm. Um, especially with the information about our family, <laughs> our, our parents. Um, that, so, so, so we don't know what, what that's going to be like. And, and they to, have all of your information. I mean, even right. fingerprints even. And, I mean, right. how far? Yeah, yeah, so they have like our addresses um, and... and, and, and like documents that we've submitted um, sure. from our stories. So um, we don't know what is going to happen, but in the case that that information is used against us, I mean, we could end up in detention centers. Um, like if ICE is kind of going to come get us and our families, we could probably end up in detention centers and probably removed for the country, from the country, right? And then the whole issue of the detention center is just like another big issue, right? <laughs> like maybe we can like probably discuss um, either down the line or, or at another time, but um, it's, I guess, to connect it to the Japanese internment, it's like people are already been in this internment camps right now. All these uh, immigrants are being um, detained. And sometimes just for the simple fact of presenting themselves at the border and seeking asylum. Sure. Um, and you, we hear a lot about that in the news. And um, I think it's also imp important to highlight that people are currently being detained in all these prisons. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, you, you, the way you phrased a, a statement earlier, because of your job, you knew that to sue the, the government meant that they would have to defend it. And your, in a mm -hmm. sense, your expertise offered you an advantage, a perspective on the situation. Mm -hmm. Coming through what you know with your degree, with your work, um, have you had any other insight that seems n needing to share? or? So the, I guess the insight, the most recent insight that I've, that I've that I have is, is um, what, I, what I shared with you all about um, the decision of the plaintiff in one of those lawsuits to um, accept that the government shouldn't take new uh, applications because that okay. would just weaken um, the other uh, lawsuit that was filed in Texas that is likely to have at least uh, a not unfavorable decision for, for the program. Uh -huh. um, other than that, like I was mentioning to you all, this is something that is... Um, moving and changing and the fact that it's in many different courts and there's different lawsuits it's almost it's almost hard to follow yeah sure <laughs> but definitely there are folks out there um like for example the national immigration law center who are providing um really good information as as the as it comes out gotcha and well actually we can move towards our the ultimate question of a toolkit where every mm -hmm. chapter is we're supposed to mm -hmm. align and share some sort of technique or tool or something mm -hmm. um can you offer a resource first um, for DACA recipients now? Mm -hmm. what, what is something that 
you would lend a hand to? So um, there are a couple websites for DACA recipients to mm -hmm. obtain information. Um, I will say that ours is one of them. There's um, we put it information as soon as they come, lgbtcenteroc.org. Um, mm -hmm. And also there's you know United We Dream, which is the, uh, the largest national um, organization that, um, that is led by undocumented youth. Mm -hmm. um, there's also informimmigrant.org. Um, and then um, forward.us also puts out uh, really good information. And I also want to, I guess, take this time to, to also highlight how important it is to also have other community members support um, this cause. And not only to um, support DACA recipients, but all immigrants. Um, and I guess one, one of the ways that people can help out is, well, there's also the issue of the money needed, right? They can donate to a DACA fund sure. in order to support other DACA recipients um, so that they can, they're able to renew. But it also may be that they can donate to someone's commissary in a detention center so that they're able to make calls to the outside or maybe even buy salt in there wow. for their food. It, is there any other final resource that you might recommend beyond um, donation? Is there something mm -hmm. sort of, in the sense of maybe immediate action that we could do? I guess one, one way is, I guess, determining like how one is able to support. Like some people may not be able to um, donate any money, right? But if they're able to donate manpower, okay. um, if they're able to visit someone in immigration detention, if they're able to... Um, make a phone call to the representative, um, that, that can have a huge impact too. I see. Brilliant, mm -hmm. thank you. Um, are there any final statements that you wanna make and use this platform, or this time yes. as a platform, yeah? Yes, and I feel it is something, like every time I, I get invited to speak, um, I always, and, and to share my story, and to have a beautiful audience here listening to me, I always have to make a, a little bit of, of a disclaimer, because I think it wouldn't be fair um, for the rest of the people in our immigrant community. Um, but I always, I, so I, I get invited to speak, right, yeah. and, and, and share my story, but that doesn't mean that there's not other people in the immigrant community whose stories are, are less, you know, they, that doesn't mean that it, their stories are less valuable, right? Yeah. Um, so there's estimated that there's 11 million undocumented immigrants right now, and I realize that perhaps DACA recipients have um, a lot of sympathy from the general public, and our stories um, get told, but there are a lot of other people out there who are probably having it way worse. Sure. Um, and so I just wanted to also, I guess, elevate that, that part, that, that piece that there are other people, like for example, people in immigration detention, um, parents who are being taken from their, uh, from their children, yeah. um, whether, it is, um, wh whether it is that they're recently arriving or that they have been here for 20, 30 years. Um, so families are being broken up. Um, livelihoods are being devastated and I just I, I wanted to elevate that like it wouldn't be fair for me to come and just talk about my, myself <laughs> like, yeah, there's true. so many other stories out kind, there and kind. and people having it way harder thank you Luis thank you
Thank you for listening to the Creative and Cultural Podcast. The show is produced by Heritage Future. Our music is composed and performed by Dan Record. Support our mission by subscribing, reviewing, or donating today. Stay connected at heritagefuture.org.